the expression from the music inspired me so much to take risks and it inspired damn near the whole rap game. Hello again, I'm Adam Unz. You may know me as the host of The Opus, and now I'm bringing my own show, The Spark Parade, to the Consequence Podcast Network. I speak with artists and creatives about the cultural artifacts that spark their personal interest and creativity, whether it's music, books, movies, video games, or any other kind of art. I've never spoke about it in this amount of detail. I'm suddenly going, oh my God, I'm blowing my own mind here, Christ. It's, it's actually a giant part of my life. By talking about the things we love, we share and discover insights into our personality and the things that drive us. It's just magic, really. I mean, frustrating and it makes some people angry, but I don't think anyone's ever done anything like it. I speak with people like Connor Robers, Phoenix's Thomas Mars, Chris Gethard, Helen Hong, Adrian Young, and more, so their sparks of inspiration can start a fire in you. I'm grateful for those who continue to put our history and who we are as a people in the forefront and make you see it. Find the Spark Parade wherever you get your podcasts. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Consequence Podcast Network. Welcome listeners to another episode of the story behind the song, the Consequence Podcast Network series, where we interview the iconic artists behind the most iconic songs of the past few decades. I'm your host, Peter Chadi, and each month I dive deep into conversations with your favorite musicians of all time to get insights into the creative journeys behind their most popular and lasting songs. I also ask each artist about one of their personal favorite deep cuts from their own catalog. And in the process, these living legends reveal frequently surprising, never-before-discussed details about these songs and their creative journeys, as well as candid reflections about their personal triumphs and challenges. In this special bonus episode, I speak with Andy Hull, lead singer and songwriter for the great indie band Manchester Orchestra, a band that transformed its sound with its last two albums to become more cinematic in its soundscape. Those two albums are 2017's A Black Mile to the Surface and last year's The Million Masks of God. But something strange happened along the way to Million Masks. The video to the closing song from its earlier A Black Mile album, the song The Silence, began to bubble up and break through on YouTube, and it now boasts nearly 110 million views, a remarkable feat for a song that was never released as a single. I ask Andy how that happened and what that song means to him and to his fans. We also discuss Andy's pick, his remarkable song Angel of Death from Million Masks, a beautifully complex album that confronts birth through the afterlife. So take a listen as we dive into the story behind the song with Andy Hull of Manchester Orchestra. Hello. Good to see you again, Andy. You too, man. Good to see you. So where are you today? I'm in my basement uh, in uh, Johns Creek, Georgia, just okay. north of Atlanta. Um, okay. This has become sort of my my zone that I do all of my, my podcasts <laughs> from. Yeah. Uh, There's lots you're... of toys, as you can see behind me here. There's yeah. lots of children's bullshit everywhere. Is that where you also do a lot of your music? No, I do. I, I, so we own a studio that's like uh, two and a half miles down the road. Um, okay. And we bought a house and just uh, almost 10 years ago. It was 10 years ago, actually. It's crazy. And we gutted it and built a studio. We've been operating out of there uh, for 10 years. Um, so, yeah, I have like a couple guitars around here for when like inspiration sort of hits or just mess around. But generally only demos are, are recorded in the house. Right, right. Gotcha. Well, today's going to be a special episode. Um, We're going to be getting into uh, a song that was not, as far as I know, released as a single from your previous album, not your latest album, from A Black Mile to the Surface, uh, the great song, The Silence, and how that has a very interesting, unique journey. Want to get into that. And then we're going to also get into 
uh, a great song from your latest album, Million Masks of God. And the name of that song is Angel of Death. So we'll get into the story behind that. True to the name there too. Uh, one of the things, because we've talked before, one of the things I find really fascinating about your songs are that the lyrics are very, very enigmatic, very non-literal. And so I'm not going to ask you to peel back the curtain too much. I'll just reveal as much as you want to, but it's fascinating to, you know, as you listen to them, as you read them and look at them, um, it's just, uh, you know, the titles of the songs themselves too. They're just fascinating. So I'm curious to get into your headspace about how you approach all of that. So maybe, oh, oh maybe, boy, I know. <laughs> so Andy, why, don't I, why don't I ask you that a little bit, just your approach to songwriting first, and then we'll get into those two songs. Sure. Well, I think the approach changes and there isn't a set specific approach for me. Rarely it will start with like a melody that's in my head without any music. There's a song that's playing in my head that I've never heard before. And so then I'm going to go figure out how to play a version of that song on the guitar, which can be tricky because you're like, you know, I have no idea what key you're singing in. Um, so you sort of have to like figure out, you know, what chords you're going to be putting around this melody. That's maybe like 10, 15% of the time, pretty rare. The others, other times when the words come first, if I'm feeling like, you know, it, it's something that it doesn't need music in order for me to kind of get words out, but they'd feel like they need to be written, I guess, more of like a, a poem or a, um, I don't know just uh, not spoken word, but thoughts that, that rhyme. <laughs> and, um, and yeah, I guess the other way is playing music, playing the guitar, playing something, and then a melody sort of comes to you. Right now I'm, I'm wrestling with a song that I really, really love. I just have no idea what I would even begin to write about, which is funny because there's so many things to write songs about, but I've, I always really want to care about what I'm writing about. It needs to deeply matter to me or I'm not that interested in it. It's not even like a perfectionist mentality. It's just, I'm not that intrigued with it. If I'm not really wrapped up with what these characters are doing or what, how it's playing within itself and how parts of the song should relate to, to parts before. And a lot of that's just doing instead of like planning, you just have to continue to like work on it and see yeah. where it's happening. And I think earlier in my career, the idea of like a finished song was a lot easier to me because I, I wouldn't overthink it as much. And it would just be like, okay, well, here's the thing. And it should go like this. And then that's the song. And I think that as I've, I've gotten older and my time has changed, I mean, a lot of that has to do with time changing where I don't have hours to myself alone to just have inspiration and, and come up with something and, and, and block out everything else in my life until this thing's done. So I had to, I guess, a bit by force learn how to document ideas and then get back to them. And I think and by doing that, that then gave me more time to think about what I was doing. This is all probably starting to evolve around 2015 or 16 for me. I think our last record cope was probably the last record. I, I was writing songs kind of like, here's the beginning, here's the middle, here's the end. And this is the way the song should go. And even still, uh, not to sound too out there, but they don't really ever stop evolving because you know, these songs, you should give them, I think, give them as much of a chance to evolve as a song before you record it. For me, at least I've been doing that a lot um, over the last few albums. Like, let, let's see what they can actually turn into. So you mentioned 2015 is kind of being a point where you maybe took a little bit of a different approach because life happened and, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, in different ways. So uh, following your albums over the years, um, which I have, you... It, it seemed that way to me as I looked at Black Mile to the Surface and it, it, it felt cinematic in a way where mm. it's, uh, you know, you're sitting down to a full listen of the full album and it seemed more of um, like a story to be told over time. Similarly with this latest album of yours, The Million Masks of God, same thing where it's it seems more cinematic, like a full piece, an opus. And... Is that, is that the way you approached it in both those albums? Well, yes. I mean, yes, the, to answer that, yes. Mm -hmm. I, I knew that Black Mile was supposed to be a far more intricate concept album than it ended up becoming because it was a better record not being as, as detailed, which, which comes a lot from just learning as well that sometimes like less is more or 
you know, it's a struggle. You're like aiming for something. You set your sight on the highest goal you possibly can. I want to make a perfect album. And then if you don't ever reach it, there has to be some, <laughs> some bit of, of uh, chance that you're going to end up with something that's, that's pretty cool. Um, if you're aiming for that, you know, right, <laughs> even right. if you fail, at least you're like in the ballpark. So yeah, I think Black Mile started to become even deeper of a concept record because I then became a part of that record and, the, and the, our lives started to be a part of it in my daughter's life. And it really kind of worked itself out while we were slaving over it, but it, it still, you know, it came out as that of, of sort of a vision of what I wanted our, our band to, to look like for the, for the period of time. And, and with Million Masks, I think it was like, okay, so now that we did that, how do we move that further and create from the beginning the idea of all these songs are going to like connect where with black mile it was maybe you know the, the middle of that album are these three songs the alien the sunshine and the grocery and we knew from the beginning that those were all going to be connected and we loved how that worked it's like oh man well now you're getting a 14 minute song as opposed to a, these three different ones and once that worked and we felt like it was a new exciting place to to enter into then all songs start, sort of started to become available because you're going well i love this 35 second song you know that i've written but i've no nothing else to do with it and i love the way that the melody can work this way and all of a sudden your songs start mutating and growing these you know like kind of weird beautiful <laughs> zits <laughs> <laughs> growths and and the, yeah they, be, they become sort of these cool monsters yeah so Okay, let's dig into Black Mile to the Surface and the song The Silence, which actually closes out the album. And it's a, it's about a seven minute song, just a like a slow burn. And when we last spoke, this song on YouTube was approaching something like a hundred million views at the time. And you had told me at the time that you were that this was quite a phenomenon to you too. So let's get into this a little bit because it, am I right that that was not the song The Silence was not released as a single? Right. Nonetheless, this album, which was released in 2017, the video itself was posted in December of 2018, this particular performance. And it now has, I just checked, about 107 million views of that video. So Tell me about that phenomenon and your reaction to it. When, when this started happening, why you believe it happened and, and why it continues right. to grow? Well, I think it started as an algorithmic luck. You know, I think we were popped into that little sidebar to a bunch of people that had never heard of us and had no, no idea who we were from all across the world. And then that started people started listening to it, which always blows my mind. Cause a lot of people, the videos are like near, nearly 10 minutes long and the music doesn't start for a few minutes into the music video. So that's, it's all the more confusing. <laughs> and, um, yeah, they just slowly, but surely, I think this is my assessment. I think the people that heard the song then thought a, a wide range of, holy shit, this song's talking to me. It's really emotional to go read any of the comments I'd, I'll say to anybody listening now, like I don't do this often, but you know, every six months I'll go back and just go look at the most recent comment that's written there. And it's like, it's somebody going through something that this song has helped them. It's really, it's like a miracle. So I think it just continued to like our band, but in a weird algor algorithmic YouTube way, it just started to grow like the word of mouth started to grow and then people are like oh wait so this band has five records <laughs> oh they 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 have other songs that that i like too and yeah just a, an interesting flair but i will say even outside of the youtube component the song's growth has been really awesome it's become a song that's that a lot of people identify with you know outside of of the youtube i think it's it's our number one played song on spotify i believe and I mean, you know, I always wanted, we always want to make records like that. Where it's like the single doesn't need to get you know, the lasting power of songs. You know, our song, The Gold on on uh, Black Mile that, that did relatively well at radio, 
I remember telling the label, like, or just asking my management and the label, like, why do you like this song so much? Like, I like this song. Don't get me wrong. I like, I want this song to be on the record. I like it, but why do you like it so much? And it's an amazing song. And <laughs> thank you very much. <laughs> but I didn't, it didn't. Thank you. And I knew it was a good song. I don't mean that. I didn't think it was a yeah. bad song, but I guess I just don't really have the, um, yeah, I was like, I know the silence is going to be a single, but I like the silence more than I like the gold. You know, I like it. I feel more when I'm playing the silence. So I, I did have a, a feeling that it would connect with people. You know, it was the kind of song that when we finished it ish and the whole time when we knew what the song was going to be, it was always going to be the closer. You know, it's, it's, it was very obvious from the beginning. So. Yeah. I was going to um, ask you about that. Yeah. It just, uh, that happens a good bit on our records. We kind of figure out what's going to open and close it. And once you figure that out, then it's all, all the rest of it can start forming itself, you know? Well, so tell me about that a little bit. Um, the process, do you remember writing that, how easily it flowed from you, whether that was a struggle or whether it just kind of came out? Tell us a little bit about that, just the overall process of the silence. Yeah. I have a very weirdly great memory. So I do remember most weird things that I probably shouldn't. Um, but I do remember that it was pretty early. Like I wrote that song a while ago. I think it was maybe a year or two after Cope. And it was a song that was specifically a get out of bed in the middle of the night and go downstairs and write it, which very rarely happens. And it's cool that this song had that feeling, makes me feel like it was supposed to be written. And so I wrote the first verse and the chorus and because I remember writing some of the lyrics. I think it was like a prayer. It was. It was like I was laying in bed. And I was sort of trying to write out sort of a prayer, a submission to God in a sense. And it felt compelling enough to get up. And so I went downstairs and I remember writing it, did the voice memo, had the first verse and the first chorus, second verse, second chorus. And it, it stayed right there. And it might have gone into a little amateur, not finished version of the bridge. And then it sat there for, for a long time. And Robert always really liked the song, thought that it, it had potential. And I thought it was cool too, but it was, you know, it just felt kind of like a late night, Neil Youngish sort of vibe. And, yeah. and yeah. I was connected to it, but I, I wasn't like, oh my God, this one's gonna, you know, like that song, The Maze about my daughter. I had a feeling like that song made me cry when I would play it by myself to nobody. I'm <laughs> like, this is probably gonna connect with some people, um, yeah, yeah, you know? Um, with that one, not as much at that state. And I went to Hawaii with my wife for her 30th birthday. I brought a guitar and I started trying to put together some of the pieces of what would become Black Mile. So I ended up writing The Alien and The Grocery. Um, maybe another one or two there, but those are the two I remember. Oh, the parts. I wrote the parts there. And as I was trying to kind of file it, I, I try to get all my thoughts together and write all the possibilities it makes me feel better if i can see lots of songs it feels like i've done something <laughs> even if they're all bad well it sounds like it's a pretty productive trip to hawaii by the way but <laughs> it was good yeah. it was good you know and at that point i wasn't even aware that they were going to turn into anything i just thought they were cool so i went back and long story short on that trip went back and listened to the voice memo because robert had said remember that song too that song's really cool and so i, I relearned it and sort of tried to figure it out and then we worked on it as a band and we got like just as far as the bridge and then there was no ending to it like the ending that is there now was not really conceived until Catherine Marks got involved and in who produced Black Mile with us. And we were in pre-production in this cabin. And she said something along the lines of something we were really actively fighting against this whole record because we are really good at blowing up. Like we can make it very quiet and then we can just blow it up and make it this huge. So we were fighting that the whole record. No, don't do that thing we do. How do we make it? more impactful doing something else what else works you know um and she just sort of finally which was it was good we were doing that it was forcing us to grow but then at a certain point she was right and she said hey, this should really like explode at the end and even then we were pretty um hesitant about it 
you know, even Tim was kind of playing like a weird drum part for a bit. And we dug it because it kind of reminded us of like Seager Ross or something. And she was like, nah, it just needs to be like, boom, <laughs> boom. <laughs> and it was like, yeah, yeah, it does. And so we do that. She says something like there needs to be some line. There needs to be something said right before it blows up. You know, what can it be? They're like, and, and she's like, you figure that out, but there should be like some phrase that you say before it explodes. I thought that was a pretty cool idea and I understood what she meant. I've been working on these lyrics on the record for a while and the, the, the line, uh, there's nothing I've got when I die that I keep or several versions of that lyric show up all over the record. And so it sort of came to me like that in this line, there's nothing you keep, there's only a reflection, comes out, boom, we have this big ending. And still at that point, there was no end vocals. It was just uh, this, uh, something I love about Catherine is, She'll say, don't worry about like the ending, ending of the song. Just keep playing. We can always cut it. So a lot of parts on Black Mile that go on for a really long time was because we were just jamming in the room. Yeah. And we loved how it felt. Yeah. Like the end of the groceries that long because of that. That was how long it needed to be in that room for that performance. And the silence was like that. So we just have this massive thing and I'm doing O's, but it's it still hadn't kind of come together with that final missing piece. So fast forward a month or so later, we're in Atlanta working on that song and I, it hits me what i want to write at the very end of it i write this three paragraph stanza sort of a summary of the album and a, a summary of my sort of outlook and and hope for the future of my daughter and i like can't get through it without crying because the words mattered so much and it got there it got to how the maze was and then Catherine and robert are like weeping in the control room and it's bad you know and Catherine and i still joke about it because she's like i'm telling you that's the take i'm like dude it sounds so bad like i just let me compose myself <laughs> crying while singing sounds like a fun idea but it sounds terrible um <laughs> so i'm like now nah, i gotta get it right and um and we worked on it and, but still you know still to this day when i play that song live the words still matter to me and i'm, I'm brought right back there because it's a true sentiment and it's a hope it's a hopeful thing and it's a place of gratitude and hoping to be, you know, peaceful. And so when we get to close a show with that, there's kind of no better feeling than to like kind of put it out. Like the song says, you know, open my eyes and be glad that I got here. Yeah. I mean, wow. What a journey. And uh, so that album is really your, your daughter infuses a lot of it. It sounds mm -hmm. like, uh, and that's because she had just been born a year before, a couple of years before. Yeah. She was born um, in July in 2014. So, and I wrote the maze like not long after maybe three weeks after she was born. Yeah. Um, but I didn't write a lot of this stuff on this record until I'd sort of been, you know, it's sort of a whirlwind that first year or two. And, you know, I then started to worry about what dads worry about and, I know that word. I'm, I'm, I'm a worrier. <laughs> I'm a big time worrier and I'm a future thinker. And I'm always kind of 10 to 15 years ahead of myself in my mind with planning or thinking. And when you do that with not my now seven-year-old, things start to get like wildly depressing. <laughs> well, I was just going to ask you about that. Okay. So you, your daughter, and that's her voice, by the way. Um, on yeah, she's the on both album. records. Yeah. 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 So in the bridge, it, it, in the transitions from song to song, you'll hear a young girl's voice and that is your daughter it is yes. Which, yes and these are just snippets you had told me before that you had recorded just everyday life yep yeah i try my best to if something's going on that's interesting yeah um i try to record it because we the, the microphone on the phone is so like it's, it's illegally good how great it is so there's no reason why we shouldn't just be recording everything all the time and you know i wanted to kind of complete that process too where it started on the the first record on Black Mile, you know, she says during that song, The Moth, like she says, what about my future? Which I'd asked her, you know, to say, can you say that in this mic, sweetie? <laughs> she's like three. Um, but this one was cool because she's actually telling me the story um, and and it's telling me all these great details. And of course, if she's, you know, telling me something like that, I want to record it and yeah. you just never know where it'll be used. Okay. So you're a deep thinker and she's seven now. So before we get into the second song, how do you feel about her future? I mean, I'm excited for her and for her future. And I think 
my job is to just be there for her and try and give her the best advice that I can and love her unconditionally. I think when I start to get outside of that, there's a lot of things that I can't control. And yeah. then when I spend a lot of time thinking about things I can't control, I start to, you know, I get the spins mentally. And then that guy who's in your head talking shit all the time, he gets a little bit louder. It's just not good for anybody, really. So, you know, that that really is for me, that part of the silence, when I still sing that, why that line still matters to me of like, you know, little girl, you were cursed by my ancestry. There's nothing but darkness and agony. It's like, man, this life is coming at you really hard. So I just need to like be here <laughs> to help as much as I can. You know, that's all my folks did for me. And you know, even though life's hard and, and so layered and complicated, I still feel a sense of, you know, joy and, and I'm happy that I'm alive. So I think that's all we can hope, right? It's all you can do. It's all you can do. So it sounds like um, uh, one question about the silence, when it poured out of you that night, when mm -hmm. you couldn't sleep or woke you up, did the lyrics and the music come together? Like, it, that's what it sounded like when you were describing it. Yeah. Yeah, they did. Yeah. It was like, and you can tell because the chords are just very simple. Like I, you know, it's just, it's an E and a D and an A and they were just kind of hanging there and, but they weren't chords that I'd really put together in that order um, a lot before. So it gave it this sort of new feel to me that I could exist in that place. But, you know, I just, I thought it was a God song for a long time. And then I've noticed as the years have gone by and the more that it evolves, you know, I thought it was a song about me talking to God and, you know, basically saying, who am I to ask? You know, if you're real, well, then who am I to ask um, anything really? Who am I to doubt? Who am I to anything? And the, the song ends up, you know, turning to a perspective of me looking, you know, down on my daughter and, and hopefully reflecting the same type of love, you know, if all I can show her is, is what God's love would be, then, you know, then that's, that's the hope. So it, it ended up kind of being this dual story. Yeah, interesting. Um, the song, in in a sense, to me, it kind of harkens back to Arcade Fire's My Body's a Cage. A little oh, bit. Yeah, of what a great song. Yeah, it's an amazing song. But the production, just the epic nature of it all, and you described that a little bit with Catherine Marks um, and, and how it closes the album. I don't even know because of of COVID and I know you're going to be touring again. I'm not sure if you started yet, but I know you're coming to Southern California very soon. Um, but have you had a chance to really play the silence in shows and live shows? Yeah, we've done it a lot. Okay. Um, you've done it a lot. And yeah, and, yeah, is, yeah, and that's closing your shows. You said generally, yes. Yeah. It's only closed our shows. We've never put it anywhere else. Okay. <laughs> we're either yeah. playing it last or we're not playing it. Okay. Well, I get that. <laughs> sure. And, and so is it kind of this shared catharsis sort of moment? Is that, how do you feel performing it to a live audience? Well, it's, uh, yeah, I, I love, I love performing it. It's a hard song to perform. It's a long song. And especially if it's the last song, it can be a difficult song vocally. Um, there's a lot going on at the end there that I have to be careful about if I'm going night in, night out. So it is sort of like a song we, we can sometimes save for, for moments. Um, you know, it feels like it's, it's, it feels like the rest of the set, which, which if it's going well, feels connected and like, we are exactly where we are doing what we're supposed to be doing. Um, yeah. and that's a, that's a song that with a message I feel, and I think the guys in the band would agree. It's like, you know, that's worth like leaving it on the stage for it. And it, it feels, yeah, it feels worthy of, you know, headbanging. I had asked uh, which song you would like to, th as the second song, and Angel of Death is the song that you had selected to discuss. So tell us a little bit about that, because that's a, you know, it's a song that I've listened to so many times, and you and I have talked about that before. It's, it's a great song, and the album was just released um, last year. Uh, everything's a blur now, but 2021, I think, right? Uh, yes, that's yeah, right. <laughs> it was released in 20, 2021. Yes. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about... Um, why that song is special to you and how that one came to you, what the journey was to creating that song. 
and how it fits in to your vision and the overall, you know, the overall uh, journey that you take on this latest album. For me, where it lands in the record um, is after a very kind of philosophical uh, questioning kind of song. Or like, you know, the inaudible is less about the details and more about the narrator, you know, and, and sort of setting up what this record's about. Angel of Death gets a little more like literal in the sense that it's where sort of explaining the first time that our character is with the angel of death, whatever that is, um, on the record, this, this being, um, and they're having a conversation. So a lot of this song, one of the things we talked about making million masks a lot was channel changes, like musically and lyrically channel changes, like an old TV. So like, you know, you'd click it. And so you're in the middle of this one thing and then boom, we're somewhere else. And we thought that that could sort of serve. I thought that felt like memories, you know, things that you're just remembering and how do we kind of make the music sound like these sort of violent or, or, or quick memories that are happening. So yeah, that song's just like this kind of collection of, of all these experiences in this guy's life and sort of pointing at little things that will happen later on in the record and things that had happened, but sort of the grand view of like, here's what happened, you know? Do you remember when you, when that first came to you and what the process was and whether that flowed kind of the way you described the silence? It was a really different process completely than the silence. Um, that song, I had the melody for it and I liked the way the chords sort of worked together. We had written a lot of stuff for Million Mass and Tim, our drummer, was like, you know, we need a rock song on this thing. So we've been working on really moody, chill, more chill stuff. Um, and so I had this idea and started, I would like went back into this other room. I sort of took it as a challenge and went back into this other room and started messing around with what I thought the, the riff should be, which ends up sort of being what the baseline is in the song um, and brought it to them. And then we tried it like over the course of three days, we tried it several different ways. There was an all electronic version of it um, that sort of appears towards the second half of the song. The, the outro of the song is, is a part of that version. It took like three or four writing sessions to get that song to a place where we really liked it. We knew that the intro was cool. The verse was cool. And the first chorus was cool. And we didn't know where the rest of it would go. And so once the bridge came in to play and I started figuring out, okay, now this bridge is sort of going to be the first time you hear from the main character kind of talking about, you know, me, I guess, if, if I'm in the, the album and I'm sort of summing up my life so far at the same time, this guy's sort of summing up his and, 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 um, yeah, it finally gets to that third chorus and you're, you're back to the beginning of your life and you, then you're being exploded into, um, into the rest of whatever is, is coming next. It was cool to not have a conclusion to some of these songs. Like the silence is a song that has, when I am finished hearing that song or playing it, it's like, okay, I understand that song's over now. Angel of death feels like it doesn't actually end to me ever. All, most of the songs on the, that on million mass don't, it's just, here's the thing that we're going into next, you know? Well, and it, it, it all flows together. Right. And so again, it's a cinematic experience and one where kind of like the albums of old, where you'd want to um, really sit down and listen to the whole journey, the whole saga. Right. Uh, and yeah. to, to really get it right. I think it's, you know, probably been overused and I don't mean it to, yeah, I don't mean it in a lame way, but when I would say like, I see the album as a song. I really yeah. mean that, like, it's more like they're just longer verses and longer choruses, but I want the flow. I wanted the flow of million masks to represent like a really great song and you're sort of getting, there's references to parts in this, you know, if, if it's the eighth song or the sixth song that are coming back from the second and third, because those could be seen as like choruses for the album. Um, and the only reason we really loved doing it is because it was intriguing and challenging. It's like, oh, we haven't done this before. This is great. This is exciting. And so I think when you chase that, 
feeling. Try and do it with excellence as best you can. You know, we generally are pretty pleased. Yeah, no, it's fascinating. It's just you bring some of the lyrics back, like you said, from one song and you tied in the same lyric comes back in toward the latter part of the album. Uh, what, you mentioned a couple of things that I'm just curious how you, first of all, on your lyrics, because as I started at the beginning, the lyrics can be rather enigmatic. They're certainly not literal in the, or they're, they're not obvious, right? And that's, that's so much of the beauty of the way that you write your lyrics. And is this just, do you get ideas and it just flows out from you? And so you don't question them? Uh, how do you? Like, <laughs> I wish. <laughs> well, because, so let's take a, a Angel of Death. You said yeah. that there are all these little snippets from the person's life, you know, who the, um, the character who's in the story, this epic journey. And so they're little snippets. Now I have the lyric sheet here and they're fascinating little nuggets. And I really urge people to go and check out the lyrics because I have so many questions I could ask, but you tell me like how these little ideas come to you, or is it just impossible for you to describe how they do? I guess it is impossible in a sense. I just kind of catch a, a brainwave when it happens and it's a lot of fast typing and, and ideas and, but then there's a lot of modification to them. And a lot of times it comes with singing them, you know, like I will think an idea is really great. And then this is a small example, but just, you know, phonetically certain things look great on a page, but when you try and sing them, they don't sound as cool. And so there's a lot of, of that as well. It's like, how does this sound the most interesting that it, it can? Like one of my favorite lyricists is Doug Marsh from Built to Spill. And Doug has said like for 20 plus years that he doesn't ever think about his lyrics. And he, he's had some great line of like, I, I know, I know what bad lyrics are. And so I try really hard to just write good lyrics. And so I do, and there's, I like that because there is something to it. It's like, uh, I do have a bit of a, an allergy to something that's, that feels recycled or that's been said, like, is there a cool, unique way to say it until you need to say something like, I love you, baby. And then if you, you know, if there are moments where that is the most powerful thing to say, you know, I just try and make sure if I'm saying a word, like there's an intent behind it and I'm not just saying it to say it. Gotcha. And then you also mentioned that, um, the angel of death as an example, you had various versions as anybody would when you're creating a song, like how, how do you, it started off as an electronic song and then you took another version, probably quiet version, then louder, whatever. How do you as a band come together on, let's take Angel of Death of, okay, this is the way we want it. Trial and error. Yeah. You know, getting a guy like Ethan Gruskin in the room on our third or fourth writing trip and him saying, I really like that electric part. Why can't it go at the electronic part? Why can't it just go at the end? And we're like, oh, yeah, why can't it? And then our, our brains start going, oh, right, right. If it goes in the end, then you can do this, you can do this. And then a big part of the glue to that stuff is actually getting in the room and recording it together. Because we've always been a band that we get our initial bones that we're recording everything else on top of from the four of us standing in a room and, and playing with each other. And that's where a lot of ideas like how long the outro of angel of death went and the song dinosaur on million masks kept evolving and evolving and getting quieter and quieter until it ended up being, you know, one of the quietest and loudest songs of the record, but just loud for like 20 seconds. Yeah. Um, so you're following that muse as well. And that's when the four of you are going like, yeah, this is good. And if we can all agree that that's the right way to be going, you know, then we're onto something. Yeah. 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 Um, well, well, fascinating. And so one of the things that we talked about on, on black mile was that, that was birth to death. And then the full cycle of life is the million masks of God. So Andy, where do you go from there to, as you conceptualize your next um, you know, you're the next book, the next chapter in your repertoire. So your ne your next, I guess, album, not that you have to think about things that way, but. Right. Oh, I do. I for sure do. I mean, I definitely think about them right when I'm done with the last one, you know, mm -hmm. and then it's like a, a period of 
great worry and stress for a while and then that it's not and um there is a great feeling of finishing an album and knowing you don't have to worry about it at least for a minute you only get that every i only get it every three or four years it's like okay i did it it's done you can like relax for a month or two um living though has so much to do with it and just learning and experiencing and, and just living growing and evolving and that to me has always been it used to freak me out that i would have you know writer's block because i wouldn't write stuff for a really long time but i just found it eventually was a strength because i wasn't writing anything i didn't care about so just wait i, I wait for it and wait for it and then it will come in some form i have ideas on what the next version of our band looks like um but you never know until you start putting things together you know yeah well, so in 2015 and getting into the last two albums, you had this, these cinematic journeys um, that uh, the stories kind of flowed from one song to the next. So as you described it, the album was kind of conceived of one full song. Do you see yourself going in that direction for the next album that you make? Um, or do you just don't know at this point? I imagine we will, because I think we've always been trying to do it you can hear like attempts at it on our first four records. We just didn't know how to do it yet. And, yeah. and we, and it wasn't as not well thought out cause that's the wrong, we just didn't have any, as many tools, you know, like the, our first three records were made all before we were 23 years old. So even starting in our teens, we just didn't have that much experience. You know, we were, we were trying to, to, do, and I'm so proud of those records, man. It's a miracle that they were made and that they're still good. <laughs> um, but it definitely feels different, you know. Um, I always want to re release an incredibly cohesive piece of work, but I definitely want it to be different than what the Million Masks of God was and with Black Mile. And there was a little bit of trepidation with that at the beginning because I didn't feel like I wanted to make Black Mile Part Two, but at the same time, I felt like I really hadn't finished the story that I wanted to tell. And I'm not sure if I've finished telling it yet, really. Yeah, I mean, birth to the afterlife. So <laughs> where do you go from there, right? So uh... I somebody asked me that the other day, and it was just sort of like, you know, I've always been writing about this stuff. So I, and it's never going to become less you know, fascinating to think about and write about. Well, it's clear that you're a deep thinker, you know, the, no, no question about it. And I, Catherine Marks, um, you know, just... I don't even know the other work that she has done, but the last two albums that she, that she worked on with you, and maybe she worked on some of the earlier ones too, but they're just, um, they're, they're almost like works of art. They're just deep, complex, layered. Uh, and the way you described her helping on the silence and some ideas on the silence, it's sounds like she was, uh, you know, she has a real impact on the overall end result. Yeah, in a very journey. interesting way too. Like in a way I did not anticipate it being when we first were going to work together. She is one of my best friends now and we talk, uh, I mean, almost daily, but she's heart. Like Catherine mm -hmm. works from heart. And so mm -hmm. she has this incredible set of skills. Um, she can get the greatest snare sound you ever heard. That's not like an issue for her. But for Catherine, it's about what feels right way more than it is about being technically correct about something so you know that for me is she's become a muse in that sense of like man if, if i i know she's listening and i know that she, her heart is so into this that if i give this performance this way it's almost like i want to impress catherine um and uh or, or just know that you know she allows me to be more heartfelt that's what it is she's like um encouraging of being incredibly vulnerable which i'm a big fan of and so we work really great together we had we bashed like crazy at the beginning during black mile because we didn't know how to work with each other yet and, um but since then we've really figured out how we how we gel together and it's it's been awesome well yeah the, the vulnerability and that emotion clearly made an impact when you have this song the silence that has now almost 110 million video views that, and although an algorithm may have first in, first picked up on it, certainly it's taken a life of its own. Yeah. And 
it's exposed a number of people, obviously millions of people around the world to your music, your whole catalog of music, which is a wonderful thing. As a dad myself and a daughter who's wants to be in the music business and produce and all that, it's fair for me to say, I think that the, the industry itself is very male dominated. Mm. And even in, when it comes to music production, very male dominated. Yep. So bringing in a different voice will have a different impact on the overall sound. And so the way you described it, where there's more heart, perhaps it's no accident, right? It's just, yeah. A- yeah. I mean, that it's, it's a very confusing thing. And I've talked with Catherine about it a ton. Um, she's so uh, forward thinking and or just realistic thinking like there, there should absolutely be way more female producers. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. It's, it's debatable that they're way better than us at all of this <laughs> top, top down. So <laughs> well, so let me ask you, um, okay, I agree. before we end it, I want to ask you a couple of things. So I'm going to do a lightning round first. Um, I, I follow a lot of the technology and where things are taking things in the mu- music industry. Mm-hmm. And one of the hot topics right now is the world of non-fungible tokens, NFTs. Yep. And I don't know how closely you follow that or don't follow that, but from a musician's perspective, what do you think about what's going on in the world of Web3 NFTs and whether you think that's a positive thing or, or not for what you do? I suppose... Whether or not it's a positive thing depends on what contract you've signed with who puts out your music and what ownership they have of what you release. I think that if the NFT is the new future, then awesome. Let's figure out how to do it. And if it is the new future, that means it's going to be here to stay, which means I don't have to dip my toes in immediately because if that's just the way it's going to be, then that's the way it's going to be. I'm still like a lot of people trying to wrap my head around how to make it work for us and for our fans without taking advantage on a trend. You know, I've been through the weirdest cycle of, of probably maybe not the weirdest, but a very interesting cycle of the music industry, starting from like 2005 to 2012. Like a lot of things have changed. You know, when I was, 05 was the very beginning of digital and iTunes was just starting to sell songs for a dollar. and um, you know, the, the CDs were still king and tower records really mattered. And it's fascinating to watch how, how quickly it's changed. So I would just, for anyone who's listening, who is a musician and is thinking about signing a deal, don't let them own any of that stuff because there's no telling what the people will use it for against you. You know, because you don't want to find out that you signed some deal. It's like, oh, all, you know, on page 850, all digital you know, whatever belongs or any future, you know, um, online income. But I think it's an exciting thing. I've heard lots of sides on it. I've heard that it's going to give power back to a lot of musicians. I think it just depends on what kind of who ends up being able to to do it themselves. And if there's going to be overlords controlling it for everybody, like, yeah, I mean, the beautiful thing about NFTs, at least conceptually, is that you as an artist have a new canvas on which to paint essentially. Mm-hmm. So the, you know, the concept of having a direct relationship with your fans where your fans support your work and support your creativity. So you have this close connection and they're helping push forward your journey and having direct experiences that come from you the way you define them to be mm-hmm. as an artist. Like that's an exciting thing from my perspective. And also there's the ability potentially to have your fans participate in what is built, right? Agreed. So we're at the very beginnings, but I think that there's a lot of excitement to it. Um, I do too. I, I definitely do too. I'm not trying to, to poo-poo it at all. Oh, no, no, no not know? at all. Not at all. But uh, you can imagine if there were certain things like uh, the crowd who, this massive audience who loves the silence and your other songs have an opportunity to have an even closer connection because that's what, you know, fans with their artists that they love, that's an interesting concept. And that's going to be a journey that we're going to watch all along the way yeah, in the agreed. industry. Now, are there any particular artists out there that you just think are perhaps under the radar, but deserving of ears? Oh, man. I wish I would have been. Uh... Or that are really impactful to you or who've kind of caught your ears recently. Does Towns Van Zant work? I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> sure. <laughs> Sinead O'Connor. Yeah. I love Sinead O'Connor. Um, just thinking of the things I've been listening to recently. 
Uh, <laughs> Lion and the Cobra is an amazing album. I've been listening. Yes, that's what I've been listening to. I'm, Universal I'm, Mother is another great album, by the way. Yeah. It's quite, a cl very quiet album, but a beautiful album. I, I'm a big fan of hers. Um, <laughs> I, man, I wish I would have been better about this. I, it's so funny because I really love, I get into listening to music in like a, a educational way, almost like a, like really a nerd, like, you know, I, okay. I've heard a lot about all of Bob Dylan's weird records in the eighties, but I haven't heard a lot of it and it's Bob Dylan. So why wouldn't I give this full album? you know, and I got like great headphones. So I'll just, I will do that. Um, but it's, it's never great for when it's like, what have you been listening to? It's like, you know, the second Bob Dylan gospel album. <laughs> you know, it's interesting that there's so many times people ask, okay, when you're deep in music, okay, your favorite, your favorite albums of all time. And, and I, I'm at a loss for oh, what those impossible. could be. Yeah. <laughs> so it's almost like the closer you get to it, the more time you spend with it, it's harder to answer those questions. A hundred percent. And I'm just way more interested in music now than I think I ever was. I just want to hear more of it and want to study it. And it doesn't matter if I like the music really, like I will listen to records that I don't really like, but I understand why it's great. And then I start to like it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, listen, it was great to see you again, Andy. Too. And thanks for taking us through those journeys of those wonderful songs. Everybody should check out both albums as well as all the other albums, but the latest album, um, the Million Masks of God is, again, this musical journey that's beautiful. Angel of Death is a standout track, but it's it's always hard to to say that, too, because they're all wonderful pieces in and of themselves. But, Andy, great to see you. I'm glad that life seems to be opening up right now, cautiously, but finally. And you're going to be doing some shows down here in Southern California very soon. And then moving on, your tour is out till planned out till when about mid-march okay we got mid festivals the rest of this year and ah. we got some exciting stuff coming you're gonna be excited because there's some stuff happening okay good there's a little <laughs> tease there we've been making something we just don't know what it is That was Andy Hull, lead singer and songwriter of great indie band Manchester Orchestra, giving the story behind the unexpected breakout smash, The Silence, and their latest single, Angel of Death, from the band's beautifully complex album, The Million Masks of God, an album I urge you to listen to from beginning to end in one sitting. I'm your host, Peter Chotti. You can follow me on Twitter at pchotti. That's P-C like cat, S like Sam, A-T-H like Harry, Y and at deepcutsmedia.com. For more of the story behind the song, make sure you like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and tune in on the third Monday of every month for new episodes. Also, make sure you're following the Consequence Podcast Network to keep up to date with all our series at consequence.net forward slash consequence dash podcast dash network. And as always, thanks for listening to the story behind the song.